Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, welcome back to the Baseball America Dynasty podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. I am here as always, uh, joined by Matt Eddy. I'm also joined by Kyle Glazer. All three of us are members of the Baseball America Dynasty League uh, that just kicked off this week. And uh, we're here to talk about some breakout players and prospects. We're going to mix up the major leaguers as well as the minor leaguers. Kyle, because you're our guest, essentially, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be on with you guys. Matt, how has it been going over the first week of your fantasy and dynasty leagues? I know you play in a variety of different formats. It's been up and down, a mixed bag for myself. Yeah, the, the first weeks of the season are always a challenge. Pitchers are working up. Pitchers are trying to, I should say, hitters are trying to find the rhythm. It's, it's, it's always a challenge. In some ways, it's even more challenging than the end of the season when, in terms of playing time and expectations. Yeah, because I think you have guys at the end of the season that are, you know, maybe prospects or younger pitchers who, you know, might be not necessarily past their innings limit, of course. Um, you'll get some of those guys that you can stream, like, you know, late in the season. Um, you know, I know Joan Adon, I think, was one last year with the Nationals where he made a start or two. And it was like you can kind of pick or choose some of those guys who might get some spot starts or even a couple of them uh, at the end of the year or this year it's really difficult because nobody's ramped up. So especially in, you know, head-to-head -head formats and head-to-head -head points formats, which is what our, our Battle Dynasty League is, it's a bit of a challenge to navigate based on what our typical expectations are. Um, I drafted, you know, a, a bunch of frontline starters. Really the big focus there is to try to get guys that go as deep as possible. We get points for quality starts. We get points for wins. We get points for innings pitched. Um, and when even those guys are only at like 70 pitch limits, 80 pitch limits, you know, at max, even on the second start, it's like you can't get those quality starts. It's, it's as scarce as possible, or maybe even as much as I've ever seen in the first you know, week or so of the season. Uh, and it does have an impact on this format, or if you play in a Roto League that has quality starts. So I'm going to kick it over to Kyle here a little bit. Um, what are your expectations in terms of when starters are going to be fully ramped up? Obviously, we had an unusual offseason. Yeah, so I wrote a story about the effects of the shortened spring training. And generally speaking, I would say around May 1st is when we'll start to see guys starting to go deeper, have kind of more normal starts, so to speak. Spring training was only three weeks this year. And, and the reason spring training is typically six weeks is for the pitchers. I talked to a lot of players about this for the story I did. And most hitters said they felt that three weeks was a little short, but they feel like they can be ready in about four weeks, maybe four and a half weeks, give or take. 
but it's the pitchers who really need the full six weeks to get ramped up, to be able to go deep into games, throw 100, 100 plus pitches. And with a three week spring training, they're going to need the first three weeks of the season to really get fully built up. Opening day was April 7th, three weeks takes us to April 28th. I think it's really going to be May 1st before we see guys having quote unquote normal traditional starts where, hey, we're through six scoreless innings and 80 pitches. They're not being pulled. They're going out for the seventh. Yeah. And I think uh, you just have to navigate that here early on because, you know, what are you going to do? There's not really any other alternatives of guys that are going deeper. You got to hope that uh, your front end guys are going to go a little bit longer. But all right. So we've we've sort of gotten the uh, updates out of the way. I think the important conversations we had to sort of jump in uh, the elephant in the room, which was certainly uh, starting pitcher innings at this point. But I want to get into breakouts a little bit. Kyle had uh, written an article um, before the season, actually, about um, some feedback that he had been getting from scouts and front office folks um, in the game. And this is before some of these guys had even broke camp. There's already a few guys here who, you know, made, you know, opening day rosters that maybe the expectations weren't there, had really aggressive assignments out of camp if they were minor leaguers that were a few years off, a guy like Taj Bradley or even um, Daniel Espino. But a couple others as well that were, you know, we'll say younger major league guys who could be um, in store for a breakout here in 2022. So, Kyle, talk to me a little bit about some of the guys that sort of pop for you. Is there any one in particular where um, you have big expectations and you think could, you know, potentially pay dividends for somebody who could maybe add them right now in a, a fantasy or a dynasty league? Yeah, this is one of my favorite pieces I do every year, talking to scouts scattered around Arizona and Florida, just seeing who looks really good in spring training. And obviously, you never want to read too much into spring training stats, but you see guys who have made concrete, measurable changes, whether it's swing changes, add a new pitch, fix some things in their delivery, and are frankly just different players than they were before. Uh, last year, the, the list included Shohei Otani, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Tyler O'Neill, Logan Webb, Jonathan India. Alec Manoa, Akil Badu, as all guys who scouts thought were going to have big years based off what they were seeing in spring training, and they all did. Uh, this year, in terms of guys who are maybe almost a, a post-hype prospect in a way, that his name just kept coming up. This wasn't a guy that came up once, came up you know, three, four times, was Brendan Rodgers. And we have to remember with Brendan Rodgers, pretty much at every level, he's been productive when healthy. He's just never been healthy. And at this point, he's a 2015 draft. He's been around for a while. People have kind of forgotten about him, moved on to other players. Uh, he's 25, and, and he still hasn't had that, that big, big year in the major leagues. But he very quietly stayed healthy for most of last year, played 102 games, and, and put together a pretty solid year. Obviously, his home games in Coors Field, it's going to inflate the numbers a little bit. And he's still an aggressive hitter, as we saw last year. But we saw extra base power. We saw respectable average. He's always just had that natural ability to get the bat to the ball and just, you know, make it look easy. He's got just such a natural, fluid, beautiful swing. And this year in camp, what a lot of evaluators were seeing was just kind of that, that jump we see a lot of guys make. Okay, I've had that first year where, you know, I've kind of gotten my jitters out of the way. And now he's just, he's just more comfortable at the plate kind of understanding what guys are trying to do to him. You're seeing him really drive the ball hard to all fields. He's working counts a little more, finding a pitch he can really drive. We're just kind of seeing some of the progression there. So I think Brendan Rodgers is a guy that, again, was a top prospect for so long. And because of the injuries, it just took him so, so, so long to really get established. 
But we saw it last year, and based on what was happening in spring training, he's a guy in the big leagues I think is going to have a pretty big year this year. Yeah, and he's a player that I think is another good reminder of sort of, I guess that development isn't linear, uh, number one. But number two, I think you sort of saw the progression of a really talented prep prospect and prep hitter um, who had, you know, power projection, but certainly sort of innate bat-to-ball skills. I mean, just look at what his numbers were in that short period of time when he was in the Cal League before getting promoted to double-A. And he was really young in double-A. And I think the expectations were that, you know, he'd be in the major leagues within a year, but it was really apparent on certain days, because I saw a lot of him in Hartford, that the approach wasn't there. As he aged, the approach has gotten better. He's learned to be a little bit more patient, wait for uh, you know pitches that he can drive, and not just get his bat on anything because he can. It's a different ball game, you know, when you get up into the upper levels, when you're, you know, one of these super talented prep prospects uh, that really can get, you know, their bat on anything and maybe doesn't see a pitch. So doing damage on something maybe maybe outside the zone becomes a necessity at times, right? Um, but he's a guy that has progressed. He's had some health. The other thing I wanted to bring up, and I don't know if there's any way to measure this or not, but it always seems outside of a few rare occurrences that Colorado brings these guys along kind of slowly. Like they'll bring them up to the major leagues. They get a chance. A lot of guys play on the bench. I mean, the only uh, guys that sort of stick out that weren't totally like that or like Story obviously played right away and, you know, Arenado. Um, which are two, you know, pretty exceptional players. But like Charlie Blackman, you know, McMahon, a lot of these guys, it seemed like it took them two or three years to really break in. And Rodgers has kind of been through that cycle now. Some injuries are probably a big part of that. But uh, if he's healthy, he seems like, you know, he is a really good grab right now and probably a little bit undervalued. Any other names that sort of jump out? You can certainly jump on uh, the Rodgers stuff. No, I was just going to say, you know, we even saw it last year from about July, July on, July 21st, so just after the All-Star break, he hit 301, 328, 506. I mean, we saw him really figuring it out last year at the end of the year, and I think it's just going to continue. I mean, Luis Robert is just such a talented player, and I doubt he's available in a lot of leagues. But one of the things that was really, really impressive about him was we saw when he came up in 2020, it was a shortened season, the physical ability was just so, so, so incredible but he would swing at anything. Um, he really, really fell into some deep slumps during that rookie year. It's a big reason why Kyle Lewis not only won American League Rookie of the Year, but won it running away. It just was a very, very apparent that he had a lot of work to do with his approach and finding pitches he could hit and staying in the strike zone. And we saw him make a lot of progress year over year from 2020 to 2021. But again, injuries got in the way. He was limited. And coming into this year, I'm a big believer in the year three breakout. And it's interesting. We make our picks for breakout hitter and breakout pitcher each year. And those were due for the latest issue of Baseball America before I even started making these scout calls, let alone the article came out. And I picked Luis Robert as my breakout hitter, a guy who I thought would maybe jump into MVP consideration this year. Just because, again, I'm a big believer in the year three breakout. We see it so, so, so often. Whenever I've picked a year three guy to be my breakout player, it has never let me down, not once. When I get it wrong is when I deviate from that. And just seeing the improvements he made from 2020 to 2021, came back from his injury at the end of last year, you know, still held them. It wasn't a short, small fluke. So I picked him as my breakout player. And then a few weeks later, I was getting on the phone with Scout, and his name came up a lot as, hey, the plate discipline has taken even another jump. And now he's going to go from 
a guy who's supremely physically talented and is able to do some damage, but he swings at everything to a guy that stays in the strike zone and makes even, you know, a bigger impact than he has before. Um, I really think this is the kind of year where Luis Robert, when we look up at the end of the year, he'll be in the top five AL MVP finishers. I think as long as he stays healthy, we're going to see him make that kind of jump based off what he was showing us year over year, 2020 to 2021, and then what he was showing in spring training. I like that. I like the year uh, three rule as well. I think I stuck with that technically with Dylan Carlson, though I'm not sure if he passed prospect limits in 2020, though I know he did debut. So, um, but I kind of agree on that one. Though Carlson's been up and down so far. Um, Matt, did you have any players that sort of stuck out to you on um, Kyle's list in, in terms of, you know, MLB guys that perhaps you'd maybe want to take a chance on a dynasty? Because I know I do have one. Uh, myself that sort of stuck out and Jorge Alfaro that I think is interesting because he has catcher and outfield eligibility, which is just kind of rare. <laughs> and the deeper the league is, um, that's some decent depth to be able to have a backup catcher that can also play in the outfield, especially if he can do anything offensively. So I don't know if there was anybody else like it, that for you, Matt, that stuck out. It, that, that is the standard, isn't it? You're trying to find that guy at another position who's catcher eligible. So you get those everyday at-bats with a guy you can sneak in there and catcher in your fantasy league. Uh, I, I was actually going to mention another catcher in addition to Alfaro, and that's Tyler Stevenson. I know um, he's a player that Kyle's been uh, beating the drum on for a few years. And, you know, the early returns, you know, or the returns from last year and this year are, are very encouraging. Um, he's positioning himself as one of the better hitting catchers in baseball. So I would interested to hear more from Kyle about what scouts said about him. Yeah, Stevenson's an interesting case because you go back and you look, the single least successful demographic in the draft with room to spare is domestic U.S. high school catchers. It is just an awful demographic with very, very, very little success and very, very little star level success. And you have to go back almost to Joe Maurer to find the last domestic U.S. catcher who actually developed into a star. But Tyler Stevenson really caught my eye in the Arizona Fall League uh, when I saw him in, after 2019. It just, again, the physicality, the quality of at-bats, uh, the ability to just consistently square balls up and then drive them. And he was a guy whose defense had gotten shaky reviews, but I was watching him back there, and, and he was fine. He was not botching balls. His arm was great. Everything seemed fine back there. Uh, there were some nuanced things that needed to be worked on, you know, game calling and the like, but that comes with experience. We saw him really, really impressed last year. And the Reds this year traded, or I shouldn't say, I mean, they did trade Tucker Barnhart. They more gave him away. But, um, you know, part of that was creating more opportunity for Stevenson. And again, this is a guy who we saw him get a taste in 2020, really, you know, got 400 plate appearances in 2021. And this year, just coming back again, we're talking about a guy who's, you know, getting his third taste of the big leagues, even though it's more his second year now. And it just jumped out. I mean, this is one of those where, you know, you just see everything just continuing to get better. The strength, athleticism, the arm, the power, the bat to ball skills, they were all already there, but we're seeing the guy just take the jump from he's been in the big leagues. He has the experience. He's going from age 24 to 25, really entering that prime. And the defense just keeps getting better. Again, it's a guy who was already good, who had everything you really wanted from a tool standpoint, uh, from a makeup standpoint, and you're just seeing he just, he just keeps getting better every aspect of his game. So anytime you start from that foundation and you see the consistent trend up, 
that's a guy you're going to pick. And he's another guy who's had injury issues. Again, he was a 2015 draft, had a lot of injuries in the minors, really struggled to stay healthy. And as such, kind of fell off some people's radars. But ever since he's been healthy, he's been productive. And the Reds clearly believe he's ready to be a standout everyday catcher for them. And there's a lot of people who don't work for the Reds who believe the same. Yeah. Uh, and I actually ended up, I think, drafting him like all over the place. I have him in several leagues and uh, so far so good. He's been pretty good. So I want to jump onto arms. Then we're going to go over to, to Matt and I both did breakout uh, teams where we had to pick one breakout player per position for the 2022 season uh, among prospects, no major leaguers in this conversation. So it's be a nice little bump, but yet who could have impact in, in the major league level, Bobby Miller, who was absolutely dynamite the other night with double a Tulsa. I mean, looked as good as anybody's looked in the minor league so far this season. Um, let's talk a little more about Bobby Miller because uh, I've been out, I've been in, I've been out, I've been in, uh, but I think I'm fully in at this point. <laughs> it, it, based on what you guys have been telling me about Bobby Miller, it doesn't sound like it's possible to overhype the, the upside <laughs> that he is capable of reaching. Yeah, so Bobby Miller, you know, the Dodgers being my system, I've gotten to write about him uh, since he was drafted out of Louisville. And even at the alternate trading site, it was very, very clear that the Dodgers, who really liked him out of Louisville, were like, whoa, we have something here. He took a jump during that 2020 season. That was the first year he ever really started at Louisville. He'd kind of gone back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation. And 2020 alternate site, the Dodgers were one of the teams that didn't share video or data. So I had to really, really dive in all the reporting. And the reporting came back. This guy was just absolutely exceptional. And then he goes to instructional league where other scouts can see him. And again, it was, hey, this is premium, premium stuff. I mean, this is a guy who you look at and say, this is a mid-rotation starter at worst who has a chance to be a front of the rotation guy. He went out last year and at double A, or at high A, I should say, he finished at double A. He showed the same level of stuff. The thing with Bobby Miller has always just been kind of durability because, again, it's mostly been this electric, electric, amazing stuff, but it's been in two inning stints, three inning stints, four inning stints. Um, he missed time last year with an injury. He only got you know, 56 in the third innings, and he only pitched five innings in the start once. So you'd see this ridiculous stuff, but you never saw if he could hold it into the sixth or seventh goes out to minor league spring training this year. And again, the stuff is, is otherworldly, 99 to 100. One of the big things with him is his fastball, he had a four and two seamer, and they would kind of blend. His four seamer would, would run a little bit, and as a result, he wasn't getting the swings and misses on it that you might hope or expect. But he's starting to separate it out, and all of a sudden you have that four seamer with that true ride that gets swings and misses. You can come back with a two seamer to get weak contact. And oh, by the way, there's three secondaries that are all pretty dang good too in this physical, you know, 6'5", 220-pound frame that's just built to long innings. The biggest thing with him is just he still has to prove he can do it over longer stints. Uh, these backfield looks in, in the extended spring or minor league spring, I should say, it was still two innings. Uh, his first start this year out at Tulsa was four innings. It was dominant, four scoreless innings, one hitter allowed, no walks, six strikeouts. The controls really improved with uh, some delivery fixes the Dodgers have made. So it's all there, stuff, control, size, to be this true one or two caliber starter. We just have to see him do it over longer 
outings because right now it's a lot of four inning outings, you know, hitting five innings once. I think that's the thing to watch this year. Is he holding this stuff into the sixth, the seventh, even the eighth? Because that's what true aces do. And if he shows he can do it, then we might be looking at a true ace. Yeah, and it sort of looked like that the other night. Um, obviously, he didn't, you know, still on a, a limited pitch count. So we'll see how deep he goes the next few. Um, but I kind of wondered the other night, it was funny, I was thinking about it, and I was reminded of, you know, Walker Bueller and sort of how they handled Bueller throughout the minors, um, even to a lesser extent, like Julio Urias, like they, they sort of handled him in a similar manner where um, you kind of like, why are they doing this? Why is he three innings? Why is he four innings? Why are they piggybacking with somebody else? Um, but in the end, I mean, these are guys that have handled a fair amount of innings over the last couple of years and earlier in their careers and been really effective. Um, so I wonder if it's some of that. The other thing that I noticed and had, you know, talked with some sources about uh, on the anal analyst side, uh, where it looks like the Dodgers had sort of gotten to, at least during this start, to ditch the two-seamer. He was really working four-seamer. The four-seam shape um, had a little bit more hop, you know, more ride to it. It was a cleaner uh, axis. It was like a one o'clock axis, which is very similar to how like Garrett Cole throws his fastball. He's around a one o'clock axis. It was sort of tilt. Um, and it was effective up in the zone. I mean, he missed a lot of bats with a fastball. I think this is the first time that I saw him miss bats and still get ground balls. And even with a four seam where he could locate it low in the zone, um, that allowed, you know, the approach angle to play a little bit flatter, which I think baffled hitters a little bit more. And when you have his level of velocity with that sort of stuff and you're commanding it well as you said um and the secondaries are really good it's a good changeup. it's a really good slider uh he throws his curveball really hard it's a really nice pitch um you'll see grades kind of all over the place some people like one pitch more than the other i think it depends on the day um so once the now that the fastball was sort of where i think it needs to be for him to take that step and be an ace as opposed to a real like mid-rotation type I'm really excited, and I think there's even an argument that you could make that Miller is number two or three, maybe four, in terms of pitching prospects right now, at least in my personal rankings. He's not past Grayson Rodriguez, but with you know Shane Baugh's out and kind of already in the major leagues, um, I, I, don't, I don't see why there isn't a case, especially if Green and Lodolo pass their limits pretty quickly. I mean, he could be right up there in that tier. Yeah, I mean, as we talked about that, that four-seamer, separating out from the two-seamer, getting that ride was a real big focal point for the Dodgers this offseason. And the early returns have been great. It's all there. Uh, it's just a matter of, of throwing more innings and really logging more innings. You mentioned Walker Bueller. Before his rookie year, he had never thrown more than 95 innings in a season. Uh, but Miller's still topped out at 56. So you still want to get him closer to 100. And that's where I think, okay, once he shows he can do this over that you know, amount of time, then you get into the majors. Again, Bueller's first year was at 137 innings, and they bumped him up and kept going, and now he's a 200-inning pitcher. So that's certainly a potential path. Um, again, you just look at Bueller starting even from that 95-inning that range. I think that's where you want to see Miller get to this year, get to 100 innings or so, see this hold up, and then you can say, okay, now we're ready to get him up there and have him really, really, really be a big piece of this team moving forward. All right, now that we've covered Miller, we're going to jump into our breakout teams and the prospect side in a minute. But before we do that, here's a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. 
But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, we're on our breakout show here. We just went through uh, some of the spring training breakouts and uh, some of the names that uh, Kyle had collected via sources and uh, speaking with scouts, front office folks, et cetera. Uh, so make sure that you uh, go out and start sending out trade offers now before your league mates hear this podcast. But uh, Matt and myself did breakout teams uh, on the prospect side earlier this week. And um, you know, we each picked a player from each position. Uh, so we had to sort of stick in there. It wasn't just maybe 10 players that we both liked. So, you know, we went first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We had four starters each and then also listed some other names as well. Um, Kyle, I know that you had some guys on Matt's list in particular that you've had recent looks at, whether it be in uh, some spring training or minor league looks early year in the season or just some previous history with as well. Um, so were there any names in particular on Matt's list that jumped out to you that you think we need to um, sort of throw the alert horn on for all the managers out there listening? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I think two players that I've seen so far early this season in person that I'm definitely fully on board with. Uh, James Wood, the outfielder with the Padres, uh, it's just a physical monster. He's six foot seven a center fielder. And it's interesting. My first impression just looking at him is he looks a lot like Josh Bell, just the left-handed swing, the, the, the hair, the body. Um, but he's more athletic than Josh Bell. In some ways, he's kind of like this cross between Josh Bell and O'Neill Cruz. Um, but the biggest thing with him is it's monstrous power. I saw him at two home runs, 400 plus feet. But when he was a draft prospect last year, there was a lot of concern about how much he was swinging and missing. He went to IMG Academy, had a lot of strikeouts. It was, it was not a good year at all. And that's a big reason he fell to the second round. Padres drafted him, gave him first round money. And one of the things they talked about was they just felt he was just pressing. He was pressing with, you know, kind of draftitis. Uh, once they got him into the Arizona Complex League, into pro ball, he was one of the best players out there. He impressed throughout the fall and in the off season and, then when they got him out to, uh, to Lake Elsinore, I mean, it's, it's very early. He's currently out with a sore wrist, so it's, it's only been a few games. But 
it's been jaw dropping. Um, seeing a guy this big, this strong, this powerful, and he also moves really, really well in center field. I got above average runtime on him going to first base, and he's just very graceful out there. So again, I go back to this Josh Bell, O'Neill Cruz cross in my mind of how he could be a middle of the order threat who's also an up the middle athlete. It has a chance to really, really pop. Again, we're talking about a 19 year old who's got a couple of pro games under his belt. There's a lot of things that need to still come developmentally, uh, but the approach is better than I had heard. And that was the biggest thing. He was really seeing pitches, working counts, got to full counts and just kind of, I don't know, it was, it was a much more advanced hitter than I expected or had been led to believe. So that's a guy I'm definitely watching that made Matt's list. And another big power hitter is Davison De Los Santos. He was an international signee by the D-backs, really, really stood out in the Arizona Complex League last year. And he got out to Visalia at the end of last year. I did not get a chance to see him just with the unbalanced schedules, the way they work. They were up north the entire time he was there. They didn't come south. But talking to other managers, uh, just people who had league coverage, you know, they said he's 18. He just came up from the ACL, and he was not overmatched in the least. You know, facing guys who were 21, 22, guys with college experience, or in some cases had been in the league the whole year and were kind of hardened veterans by that point. He really held his own, even if the numbers didn't pop. The quality of his at-bats, uh, the quality of his defense. Now he's back out for his first full season. And I mean, he jumps out right away. He, he's physically a monster. He's, you know, 6'2", 230. But what really stood out, he's really smooth at third base. I mean, this is a big boy who doesn't play like a big boy. I saw him make plays to his left, to his right. He's got a good arm. He turns a double play well from third. Um, comes in, charges on balls. It's really good hands. It's smooth actions. It's like, this guy can actually play third base really well. And then, again, when he hits balls, it is, it's Eloy Jimenez-esque in terms of what it sounds like coming off the bat in BP, and he gets to it in games. Um, again, this is a, a pretty mature hitter. There's not a ton of swing and missing there. He makes a lot of contact. He works counts. He sees pitches. He, he drives balls all field. I saw him take a high fastball outside and drive it off the high wall in, in right field. I saw him turn on a ball and hit a hard line drive to left. And I saw him check down and, and kind of just poke a ball, poke a ball through uh, the hole between the first and second baseman through the right side for a late, late game single when they needed to get a ball in play. Um, just a, a big physical guy who, again, is an advanced hitter for his age and has tremendous power. That's a really good place to start. Uh, and both De Los Santos and Wood kind of fit that bill for me based off what I saw early this season. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, the, the word unicorn is kind of creeping into our lexicon when we talk about prospects. We talk about O'Neill Cruz, who you mentioned. We talk about Harry Ford, the catcher who can, was a plus runner, maybe the, the fastest pure catcher since Jason Kendall. Um, I think James Wood is another one. Um, so I, I like that, that pick as well, to, to toot my own horn. Um, so some other guys I would mention on here are uh, Christian Santana of the Tigers, uh, the, 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 the second youngest player in low A, I believe. I think he's one day older than um, the Padres, Victor Lizarraga. So Santana, huge power, uh, hit his way to low A as an 18-year-old, which is a rare achievement. So I'm very encouraged by him. And also Evan Carter of the Rangers is the youngest player in high A. Uh, missed most of the last season with a back injury, but appears to be 100%. A very well-rounded player you know, needs to, needs to develop a little more power, but I think the, the foundation there is he's going to be a big riser this year. 
There's a uh, there's there's three other guys I wanted to highlight on on Matt's list that kind of there was a cross section between um, his list and and some of the reports I was getting out of spring training. And, and the first is Ezekiel Tovar with the Rockies, the shortstop. I saw him last year with Fresno, and it was early in the season, and that was at a time when no one could make contact. It was May. Uh, it was the delayed season, so guys were just getting back into the swing of things after more than 18 months without games. So I actually never got to see him really show what he could do at shortstop because no one was putting a ball in play. <laughs> um, but as the year went on and just making calls around the league, his shortstop defense just drew rave reviews as this is one of the best defensive shortstops in the minors. And what I did see out of him was even though he was a smaller guy, there was some sock in there. He, he could, you know, it was loud impact for his age, his body type. Um, the ball really traveled off the bat. And, you know, he hit pretty well. It was in a hitter-friendly league and a hitter-friendly ballpark. So you, you wanted to see what it looked like at higher levels. And he, he struggled when he got to high A. He was really young for the level. Same with the fall league. But this year in spring training, uh, his name came up as much as anyone because you have this elite defensive shortstop who's now hitting. Um, again, the approach got better. He got stronger. He's recognizing pitches better. I mean, any, anything and everything you wanted to see um, if you're talking about a guy who's not on the top 100 right now, that this time next year we could be talking about not only a top 100 prospect, but potentially a top 50 prospect, um, Ezekiel Tovar is the guy. Um, another guy I want to highlight who, again, was this really, really, really good glove who's really coming around offensively is Jared Triolo with the Pirates. Uh, he won the minor league gold glove at third base last year and really just, again, rave reviews for his glove work over there. Um, just, just, Again, the kind of guy that if the ball's hit anywhere on the left side of the infield, you know it's an out. You don't have to worry about it. What was interesting was while he was getting all these raves for his glove, people were almost ignoring the fact that he hit really well last year, his pro debut. He has some pedigree. He was a second-round pick in 2019 out of Houston. It's not like this guy came out of nowhere. You know, he was old for the level last year, but again, it's not his fault. COVID banged the season, went out to high A, hit 304 with 15 homers, stole 25 bases, a lot of doubles, a lot of RBIs, strikeout to walk was good. I mean, again, just a, an elite defensive player who hit for average, hit for power, stole bases. And again, uh, in discussions with scouts in spring training, his name came up a lot in, in the Pirates farm system. It's a top three farm system in the game. There's so many guys that get talked about. And this is a guy who doesn't. And someone that kind of gets lost in the mix a little bit. But um, this is this particular scout I talked to just flat out said that this guy has a chance to be as good as any prospect in the pirate system, which is saying something. I mean, this particular scout is way, way, way in. There are other scouts who maybe aren't as in, but they all see this is a good player with a lot of tools and a lot of ability. Uh, you know, getting to double A this year will be really, really instructive, but uh, again, checks all the boxes you want. And the last guy I want to talk about is Kai Bush, the left-hander. The Angels made headlines last year for drafting 20 pitchers with their 20 draft picks. And anyone who has seen their system in recent years understands it was a good strategy. They needed arms in the worst way. It's true at the major league level and throughout their system. And you know, it was really interesting. Sam Bachman was the first rounder and the guy that people love, and for good reason. It's an explosive fastball with an absolutely disgusting slider. But one of the things with him is it's really just the two pitches he averaged under five innings a start at Ball State. There's a lot of things pointing to reliever here. And again, maybe he ends up developing the changeup and he starts and it's fine. But the first look a lot of pro scouts have had at him 
is, yeah, I, we think this is a reliever. Kai Bush, their second rounder, you can find scouts who have Angels coverage who will tell you they prefer Kai Bush to Sam Bachman. I did the work on Kai Bush doing California draft stuff for us last year, and it was really interesting. At the start of the year, it was, hey, St. Mary's has this big lefty, stuff's okay, control's been iffy. You know, he's probably the, the seventh to tenth round range. You know, again, guy you take a flyer on there. Check back a month or two later, it's like, hey, stuff's a little firmer, control's getting better, he's, he's looking pretty good. He probably goes top five rounds. And then just as the year went on and on, his stuff just kept ticking up, his control kept ticking up, his secondaries kept ticking up. And by draft day, it was like, hey, this guy's not getting out of the top two rounds. And again, this is not someone who came from nowhere. He was drafted out of high school, bounced around to a couple colleges, but I mean, by the end of last year, he was a six foot five lefty touching 96 with a plus slider. And uh, performance was there, stuff was there, control was there. That had been the big thing with him. He, he's a big boy, 6'5, 240. He'd been too heavy in years past, and his delivery just was a little all over the place because of his weight. Didn't throw enough strikes, but it was great last year. And the early reviews out of extended, uh, extended spring, I keep saying that, minor league spring training were hey. This guy, he's not a reliever. This is a starter and potentially the best pitcher. The Angels picked in last year's draft, Bachman included. This is a guy who has a chance to be a, a mid-to-back the rotation starter. I think it, it's notable, too, to, to, to note where the Angels assigned him, right, to double A, uh, which was also the case for Ryan Cusick in the athletic system and, um, and Jack Leiter with the Rangers. That one was not quite as surprising, but I, I did think it was notable for, for Cusick and, and Bush, their opening day assignments. Yeah, the A's and Angels, both of them don't have a lot of pitching in their minor league system. So I think some of it is a little bit of, hey, we, we, we need bodies at these levels. But you're right. It does speak to the talent that they could go up and, and potentially handle it. They both have the stuff. Cusick got some good reviews as well this year in, in minor league spring training. Um, but yeah, I, I just would kind of highlight Bush as a guy that when we look back in a couple of years, you know, we see it happen sometimes in the draft that the second round guy ends up being better than the first round guy or the top picks better than the top pick. There, there's a real chance. I think both of them are going to impact the angels, but I think right now it's definitely trending toward Bush is going to be the guy in the rotation while Bachman's going to be the closer. Yeah. And I think uh, last year, Jake Eater with the Marlins was kind of, you know, an illustration of how opening day assignment can really boost a player's stock too. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was going to mention that as well, because um, I think that that's also um, a point that is probably uh, in line with Tovar as well. I mean, Tovar is a guy that's at double A, pretty young for the level. Um, I didn't anticipate that he was necessarily going to be um, in Hartford right out the gate and he's hitting. So, um, you know, that's another one there where it, it the organization sort of tells you something. But I try not to read too much into it unless it's a player that you really expected to get a full season assignment and then doesn't. Um, sometimes that can be a little bit scary. Um, just, I guess, to uh, go with some shameless self-promotion here. And uh, players on my own list that I like a lot. Uh, I like uh, Yank Keel uh, Fernandez from the Rockies quite a bit. It's a, it's a great swing. Um, I know Josh got some video of Fernandez when he was out uh, in Arizona. And, you know, I think it's a corner outfield profile, you know, for a real life list. Uh, that's not something that I necessarily value greatly. And it's going to be a bit of a knock sometimes. 
Um, but in a fantasy sense, as long as he can stay on the field and his defense is good enough to keep himself in left, uh, that's all that matters. Uh, Cause I think this guy's going to bang. It is um, one of the better, I'll say young, you know, international player swings that I've seen initially uh, upon touchdown. And you don't necessarily always see that a lot of these guys, it takes a while for them to sort of get fully synced up. Um, trying to think of off the top of my head, who was the kid that got a ton of hype from uh, Kansas City a couple of years ago? And the swing is still like not Eric fully. Pena. Eric Pena. Eric Pena, exactly. Pena was you know, a big name, a big deal in terms of free agent signing. But uh, you look at Fernandez and it's, I mean, he's somewhat stout, 6'2", so he's not small, um, but he's already fairly physical. But it's, it's really whippy bat speed from the left side, smooth uh, swing. We'll see how the approach is. But he's a guy who got, you know, a, a, a full season assignment uh, at 19. And I think at this point, he only had experience in the Dominican Summer League. So uh, anytime these guys are getting a full season assignment right out of the Dominican Summer League and they haven't even made a stateside debut uh, in terms of professional, you know, regular season games i think that always sort of tells you something too that this is the guy that the organization believes in so jeff there's uh and there's three guys on this list uh, from your list that i want to highlight as well from like a a scouting perspective to kind of add them to you know the fantasy perspective and the first is andy rodriguez uh he and henry davis are both at high a greensboro and uh, scouts who had pirates coverage were talking about watching them both in, in minor league camp that they felt Rodriguez is the better catcher. And that's one of the things with Henry Davis. There's a lot of faith in the bat. You know, how good defensively he'd be was a little bit of a question. Now, they're both out in Greensboro. Davis has gotten the bulk of the starts. Again, he's the number one overall pick. They're going to make him the primary catcher. But uh, from a pure skill set perspective, there, there were actually quite a few evaluators who thought, watching them side by side, that Andy Rodriguez was the better defensive catcher. He's the better athlete. That's why he's also gotten some starts at second base and left field this year um, but again a really good athletic catcher who can hit I think that's a really good pick on your part uh, I just thought the reviews comparing him with Davis were, were notable um, and Jose Salas with the Marlins we talk about young shortstops like Ezekiel Tovar who could be on the top 100 uh, by this time next year or even later this year when we were in the process of sourcing out our top 100 getting feedback from scouting directors, assistant GMs, GMs, you know, high-ranking officials throughout the game, his name came back as someone as, you know, he's not a top 100 prospect yet, but watch him as a guy who could be next year. I think this is, a, again, a really, really good young shortstop who you see the tools, you see the defense, and, and you see the physicality to hit. Um, he got up to low A last year as an 18-year-old at the end of the season, and Again, didn't light the world on fire, but he wasn't overmatched in the least. And I think that's a really, really good sign. We talked about it with uh, De Los Santos. And then the last guy, we, we talk about assignments and guys getting bumps after not really getting a whole lot of time at a level. Owen Casey, I thought it was really notable. The Cubs ran him out to high A South Bend. Uh, he tore up the Arizona Complex League last year. Got up to Myrtle Beach at the very end of the year and did okay. Um, Myrtle Beach really, really, really stifles offense. But I still thought that he would open back in Myrtle Beach. Uh, He's a Canadian kid. You know, the defense is raw. We see the Canadian kids sometimes just need a little more time because they just haven't gotten as much gameplay as a lot of their American counterparts just because of the weather. Uh, But the fact the Cubs, after 22 games at low A, seeing what he did in camp this spring and said, we're just going to send you out to South Bend, 
you know, put you out in high A as a 19 year old, that really said something. Uh, we talked again about with Wood and De Los Santos, big, powerful dudes who control the strike zone. It's a good place to start. Uh, Casey's not as good of a defender as either of them. He has a lot of work to do on that side of the ball, but um, that, that was notable to me. They sent him out. He got some time in big league camp and, and did okay. Um, I think that's a guy that we talk about who could be a breakout type who's on the top 100 by the end of the season. I had that feeling going into the year and then seeing where they assigned him, I think only strengthened that, yeah, this guy is, this guy is moving pretty quick and his ability, he, he's, it's pretty substantial. Yeah, I, I obviously agree on all those because I uh, one of the reasons I picked him. But I had gotten similar reports on Andy Rodriguez. He had a tremendous year in Bradenton, Bradenton last year in the Florida State League. I know it was called something else silly last year, so we won't rehash that. But uh, he, I mean, just even looking at like the surface level numbers, it's really easy to identify that like this guy can hit. Um, you know, this is a, a switch hitting catcher that hit 294, 380, 512 with. 15 bombs and you know uh, a fair amount of games behind the plate and good reviews in the defense uh oh and he's you know 21 years old until late may uh so he's still maybe a couple of years away um but you know sometimes i like to put in perspective just the age thing and it's like if this guy this would be his first year or excuse me he would have been draft eligible last year like how high does a guy like that go if he's hitting you know this well and has the defense and everything else. I think sometimes it's tough for us to put that in perspective versus what our expectations are with like American players. Um, Casey, I agree with you on, I mean, I, I love the power potential there. I tried to go for loud tools kind of up and down this list. I have some big power guys. I won't mention all the names. You got to go behind the paywall to be able to get that. Um, and then I went for more of a type with most of my, my pitchers, which are really uh, college guys. One in particular, Nick Swinney, um, who unfortunately went down with, I believe, a concussion last year in his first start and missed a majority of the season. And we only saw him sort of ramp up, I think, late in August and maybe a little bit throughout September uh, where he returned to San Jose. He's in high Eugene, um, which doesn't always have video, unfortunately, so I haven't been able to watch any of his starts yet. Um, but I love the fastball changeup combination. I wrote a little bit about it in my best changeups outside the top 100. And um, doesn't have a ton of power on the fastball, but it has shape, he can locate it, and he has one of the better change-ups in the minor leagues. So I think with a full healthy season, he could be a really fun one to follow. And, you know, he's not going to be a front-of-the-rotation type of arm, but I think he could sneak up on some, on some people and, you know, maybe move up that Giants list a little bit. And if you're in a deeper league, I think he's got starter qualities, especially if you're looking for quality starts, that sort of thing. Any other players uh, either of you wanted to sort of mention before uh, we wrap things up here? Well, I've got one, but Matt, you uh, you go first. Um, yeah, I, I was just going to point out the the fast start that uh, Twins outfielder Emmanuel Rodriguez is off to in Low A. This is a guy the Twins organization liked last year. Kind of had a fluke shoulder injury diving into a base in the FCL um, that might have impacted his numbers last year when he showed power, but also a ton of strikeouts. Well. Uh, those strikeouts are, are down significantly this year, and his tools are really shining. He's somebody, a big-bodied, probably future corner outfielder, but the tools are there. The early performance is there. So I'm very encouraged about him in, um, in deeper Dynasty League. Yeah, the guy I wanted to make sure we talked about before uh, logging off was Daniel Spino. Um, the kind of reviews 
I was getting on him in extended spring. I keep saying extended spring. Wow. The kind of reviews I was getting on him in minor league camp were, wait, what did you just say? Um, it was, it was jaw dropping, exceptional, hyperbolic veteran scouts, young scouts, uh, scouts who tend to be more bullish on players, scouts who tend to be more bearish on players. I mean, didn't matter the demographic. People were raving, absolutely raving about this kid, the stuff he showed. It was interesting. I went back and looked at the reviews I was getting on him last year. I did not see him in person last year, but the reviews were, were all really good. What kept coming up is the slider is absolutely dominant. Uh, we saw that in the data. We saw it watching games. You don't have to be a scout to be like, holy crap, that's an incredible wipeout pitch. The biggest thing was just his fastball command. And again, the fastball was explosive. He would sit, you know, anywhere from 94 to 98, touch 100. Um, just the fastball, can, the fastball command and the overall control at times were below average. Not unworkable, but, you know, it, it had room to grow. And one of the things that really came up this year is, again, this is another guy who was 20 years old, still growing into his body. He's gotten bigger. He's gotten more physical. And now you're starting to see, okay, that fastball, instead of touching 100, is sitting 98 to 100. The slider stole a, a wipeout pitch and it's added even more velocity. And now it's in that low 90s slider range we see guys like Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom have. But the biggest thing is everything was for strikes. And that was the thing with him. You go back and look at his season last year. It was a really, really, really good year. The walk rate was still up around four. It was just a tick under four, which is fine. It wasn't terrible, but you definitely saw room for improvement. And now we're just seeing it really, really trend upward. Uh, his first start this year out at AA Akron, uh, four innings, nine strikeouts, no walks. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about when this guy is in the strike zone. So I think just seeing that the stuff is ticking up with increased physicality and most importantly, the command and control are going in the right direction. You know, we talk about guys who at this time next year, if Grace Rodriguez graduates, who could be the number one pitching prospect in baseball? You know, Bobby Miller's probably in the conversation, but Daniel Espino might be the guy in the lead. Um, again, just, just absolute rave reviews. And if he shows he can hold it up over a long season and, and hold that control and command for six, seven innings at a time every fifth day, you know, we could be looking at as good of a pitcher as the Guardians have developed, which is saying something because they've developed Sang Award winners. And this guy, I mean, it, it's all there if he shows he can hold it. Yeah, and it's that uh, that entire Akron team. Every night, if you go to one of their games, you're going to see a pretty good arm. Um, Espino starts on uh, Saturday, so uh, that's upcoming a little bit. But um, moving on here, Matt, did you had you had already sort of brought up your name? Anybody else you guys wanted to touch on? I know there were just two names I wanted to sort of shout out here uh, in Maddox Bruns, uh, who looked tremendous, which was a first round pick from the Dodgers prep arm lefty that threw really threw really hard uh and there were some questions and issues with the command sort of on the prep circuit i know he had a really loud pg national and then sort of plummeted a little bit after after that in his draft summer the dodgers we shouldn't doubt the dodgers i, I kind of questioned the pick at the time he looked phenomenal uh, it was only two innings but he was locating looked really really good um i guess i'll make it three names actually eric silva with the giants another uh, a California uh, prep kid, um, you know, UCLA commit. He looked great. It was a great fastball shape. He was sitting 94 to 96 for a couple of innings that he pitched as well. Showed two different breaking ball shapes. 
um, do everything for strikes, really challenged hitters. Um, he was a lot of fun. So those are two you need to know. And then if you haven't checked out JJ's article on what uh, Ty Madden had sort of reworked uh, since the version we had last seen last spring with Texas, the arm slot is different. The fastball characteristics are playing completely differently because of the mechanical changes that Madden has made. These are all must-ads, I think, in any league that has more than 120, 125 to 150 prospects rostered. I think all those guys need to be added. Uh, Espino needs to be added if there's like 15 prospects rostered probably, but uh, maybe 20. <laughs> but it's somewhere thereabouts. Um, but for Kyle, for Matt, and myself, Jeff Ponce, thank you for tuning in once again. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed all of our Dynasty Madness.